You're listening to Life in the A-Zone podcast. I'm Peggy Sweeney McDonald, and these are my stories of moving back to my hometown in Louisiana after 36 years to live with my father and mother when she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. These lessons of love, laughter, life, and loss are gifts of living in the A-Zone, and I'm honored to share them with you. If this is your first time here, begin the journey with Episode 1 and go forward. Thank you for joining me today. I remember when Friday nights were special. After working a long week, we would plan to meet friends for dinner or go see a movie. Friday night plans are rare these days. Tonight, I'm placing a frozen pizza into the oven, tossing together a bagged Caesar salad, and setting the table. I have no energy to go meet friends, and neither does Dad or Jimmy. We are playing the waiting game with no rule book and no guide. I'm taking it a day at a time while my mother is slipping away across town from Alzheimer's. Pizza on a Friday night brings back memories of going to Shakey's Pizza Parlor growing up in Baton Rouge. There was a small staircase leading to a platform to a window overlooking the pizza makers. My little sisters and I would stand with our noses pressed to the window, watching the pizzas being flipped in the air before being shoved into the big hot ovens. We loved going there. We were served root beer in little frosted mugs sitting at long wooden tables with benches. This was way before community tables became a thing. It was a treat to have pizza at Shakey's, and many times we celebrated birthdays and got to invite friends. On weekends, they would have a Dixieland band playing in the corner next to the piano. Other nights, it was just a piano man playing ragtime music. Sometimes a clown would walk around making balloon animals. We gobbled slices of pizza, then went home for cake and ice cream. We loved going there. During my college days, I would go to Fleur de Lis Pizza in the heart of Baton Rouge with my theater friends, usually after a play or rehearsal. We would pull up tables from across the room to make one big table in the center and share those big, squared, around-the-world pizzas, sipping cocktails, or chugging cold beer. We would sit there for hours laughing, gossiping, and flirting. The pizzas were good, but the friendships were amazing, and some of the happiest times of my life were at Fleur de Lis. While living in New York and dating Jimmy, we would have Friday night pizza dates at Delizia on 2nd Avenue and 91st Street. They had the best little garlic knots hot from the oven, and they would just melt in your mouth. We would inhale them along with a tossed Italian salad. I would get the banana peppers because Jimmy hated them. The pizza would arrive piping hot with steam rising from the stainless pan. I learned to fold my slice like Jimmy, being careful not to scold the top of my mouth. If we weren't too stuffed, we would share a cannoli or a slice of spumoni and fight over the candied cherry on top. Until one day, our friend Roy told us the candied cherry took 17 years to digest. Then I kindly passed on the cherry and let Jimmy consume it. Years later, when we flew back to New York one Christmas, Jimmy had our cab driver stop in Queens at New Park Pizza in Howard Beach. 
It was 11.30 p.m. and way too late to eat pizza. I was tired from the long flight and just ready to go to bed. Really, Jimmy, it's too late to eat pizza. I'm having pizza. Do you want a slice or not? I'm not sharing. No, thank you. Sir, do you want a slice? He asked our cab driver. No, I'm good. Thank you. Jimmy ran in and came back with two slices on a paper plate with napkins in a paper bag. The oil from the pizza was already seeping onto the white bag. You got two slices? Yeah. Give me a bite. I took a bite. OMG, best pizza ever. I didn't give it back. Well, that's why I got two. I knew you would cave, Peggy. We sat in the back of the cab, eating our slices while the cab driver drove us to his parents' house in Rockaway. That was the best slice of pizza I think I've ever had, and I almost missed it because I thought it was too late. A few years ago, I was in New York and meeting my friend Marion to see a Broadway play while Jimmy met his friend Kevin for dinner. I had time for a quick bite, so I found a stand-up counter pizza parlor in the theater district called Kiss My Slice. I love the name. The pizza? Not so much. I will always compare pizza to that freezing night in the back of the yellow cab with my Jimmy Dean. It's never too late to eat pizza. Even frozen pizza can make you smile. Pizza changes your mindset for at least a few minutes. And never pass up on a slice of New York pizza. There isn't anything quite like it. It's the real deal. I hear my father's van pull into the driveway. He opens the door and shuffles in, then goes to the refrigerator to pour a glass of wine. I pour myself a sparkling water and add a slice of lemon, then sit at the counter on a bar stool, waiting for the report. The daily report of mom comes from my father, my sisters, or friends who have visited her that day. I will listen and nod my head. I will say, I'm sorry, Dad, and give him a hug. There is no course of action, no grand plan. Nothing I can do will soothe his pain. Just listen, Peggy. Just be present. Just be. And then serve him a slice of pizza. How was Mom today? I ask, knowing the answer. But I have to ask. It's part of our routine. It was not a good visit. She didn't even acknowledge that I was there. She just stared ahead. I only stayed for about an hour and then left when they took her to the dining room for lunch. I'm so sorry, Dad. I'll go see her first thing in the morning. I hate seeing my father like this as much as I hate seeing my mom wasting away from Alzheimer's. Mom went from being angry at him for putting her in a memory care unit to nothing. I can see his heartbreak, and the denial he had of this disease has completely disappeared. He finally has accepted her Alzheimer's and knows she has slowly slipped away from him, slowly slipped away from us. This is the long goodbye. My dad seems lost as there's nothing he can do. My strong father, whose mission in life was to take care of mom and his family, is sad and broken. The weight of his pain is weighing his body down, and he can't even stand up from his chair without groaning. I wonder if he's groaning from the pain in his knees or the pain in his heart, 
or is it just all mixed in together and choking the life out of him? He can't even bring her their favorite chocolate Wendy's Frosty Milkshake. The last few times he did, the milkshakes ended up melting in her refrigerator until one of us threw it away. How much longer will the struggle continue? It is weighing down on our hearts, my sister's hearts, the grandchildren's hearts, and our family friend's hearts. The next morning, I forced myself to go for an early walk around the lake. This lake that has brought me so much comfort in the past is just a blur today. My mind is across town with my mom. The sun still sparkles on the lake. The herons still stand in stillness. The Canadian geese are still gliding across the lake. The turtles are sunning themselves on the logs. But my mind is too cluttered with anxiety and depression to see the beauty, to see the lessons of the lake. I can barely breathe. I'm lost in my thoughts, and before I know it, I have made the big circle and then turn into our driveway. I wash my face, brush my teeth, grab my purse, and climb in my car to drive across town to the memory care unit. I'm still in my workout clothes, no makeup, and my dirty hair pulled back in a hair clip. I find Mom in the living room, sitting in a chair, staring straight ahead. Hi, Mom. How are you today? I get no response. Are you hungry, Mom? Why don't we go to your room and get you something to eat? Nothing. She seems very weak. I help her to her feet and we walk to her room. I sit her in the armchair and get some yogurt and a small bottled water from the fridge. I feed her a few bites, a few sips of water, and then she shakes her head. Do you want to go lie down, Mom? I'm tired, too. So let's go lay down and take a nap. I struggle to get her into the bed. She grimaces and groans when I lift up her legs to position her on the bed. It's not easy, but I finally get her on the bed and put a pillow under her head. Alexa, play Barbara Streisand music. My mom loves Barbara Streisand, and I hope this will comfort her. The music plays softly. I climb into bed with her and pull up the blanket. Mom is lying on her side, facing the wall, and I lie behind her with my arm around her waist. I listen to her breathing. Soon we are breathing together. My mom feels so frail next to me. She falls asleep as I lay there holding my mom, crying and praying. God, please take her to heaven. My mom would not want to live this way. The door opens suddenly and shakes me out of my prayers. Sherry Berry, do you need to go to the bathroom? A cheery caretaker asks. My mom suddenly wakes up. The caretaker helps her to the bathroom to change. I hear mom arguing with her and I'm surprised as she's been so quiet all day. I get up and out of bed and drink some bottled water and eat an apple I brought from home. They come out of the bathroom, and she helps my mom back into bed. Mom seems weaker now than when I arrived. Dad arrives a little bit later. He sits in the armchair and watches her sleep. I grab my purse and sneak out. I drive home crying, silent tears. This just doesn't feel right. It feels like my mom is dying. This is the first time I see the end in sight. And I have no clue how to walk through this.
How'd it go? Jimmy asked me as I get out of the car. Jimmy is sitting on the back deck smoking a cigar. He just got home from golfing with the brother-in-laws, which is his saving grace these days. Cigars and golf keep him going. I'm grateful for both as I am so checked out of this marriage right now. I have nothing to give, nothing to say. I can't even talk to respond right now. He can see it on my face. The despair, the emptiness, the heartache. He stands and hugs me. 22-second hug, he states, not asking. He knows I need it. I probably need 22 minutes or 22 hours. Are we still going out tonight, he asks. We had made plans for dinner and a movie, a Saturday night date. We need it. Dinner, but no movie. My mom is really weak, Jimmy. I'm worried about her. I want to go check on her before we go out to dinner. Is that okay? I squeak out as the lump in my throat is so big I can barely speak. Sure, whatever you want to do, he replies, and I break away from his comforting hug to go inside the house to shower. I stand under the shower crying, grateful for the hot stream of water pouring off of me. I blow-dry my hair quickly, half-assed, as I have no energy to put any effort into it. I don't need perfect hair these days. I get into bed for a nap. I feel emotionally hungover from the morning, and sleep is the only answer to escape my feelings. Jimmy comes into the bedroom and wakes me up a couple of hours later. Your dad just got back. What time do you want to leave? Let me get dressed and put some makeup on, I say. You can at least make an effort, I tell myself. I drag myself out of bed and throw on white jeans, a cute top, and some sandals. I put on more than minimum makeup for a change and some pink lipstick, adding some earrings and bracelets. I'm trying. Barely. Dad, how was Mom? I ask him as we get ready to leave. She slept almost the entire time I was there. I fell asleep in the chair. They came to get her for dinner, so I left, he says, sadly. My dad looks so down. I hate to leave him tonight. We're going to stop by and check on Mom before we go out to dinner, I tell him. Great, thanks for doing that. You kids have a good dinner. I'm going to heat up some leftovers and read my book. My father is an avid reader, and the house is filled with books everywhere you look. I know his books are an escape these days. Jimmy and I walk in silence down the path to the memory care entrance, sign in, and climb the stairs. Jimmy punches in the secret code, and the door swings open. The nurse Crystal is in the hall, and she tells me Mom took her meds but is weak from not eating. I ask the caretakers in the kitchen if they were able to get Mom to eat any dinner, and they just shake their heads. There is a look in their eyes I haven't seen before compassion and sorrow. How many times do these wonderful caretakers go through this? A week, a month, a year? They are my heroes. It takes a very special person to do this kind of work. They deserve a place in heaven. They will always have a place in my heart. We find mom in her bed sleeping. Mom, I'm back. Jimmy's here with me. Mom opens her eyes and just looks at me, and then closes her eyes again. 
Jimmy puts the TV on and finds a baseball game as I crawl into the bed with Mom and hold her tight, spooning with my mom, the best thing in the world. My breathing soon matches hers, and she holds my hand with hers across her stomach. I want to stay like this forever. I tell myself I'm comforting her, but I know this is a selfish act as I am getting comfort from my mom, from her touch, her breath, her smell. Every now and then I withdraw my right hand and I stroke her hair, her face, and her shoulder, and then put my arm back around her waist, and she holds my hand again. I'm hungry. It's now 8.15. Let's go. I really need to eat. Tell your mom goodbye and meet me in the hall, Jimmy whispers as he stands up from the chair and leaves the room. I nod and get out of bed. Mom, Jimmy is hungry, so we're going to get something to eat. I'll see you tomorrow. I love you, Mom. I love you, she says, opening her eyes to look at me. I stand at the side of Mom's bed and lean down and kiss her. There's only a light from the bathroom. She then looks past me at the wall across from her bed. Chills run up my spine and the hair on my arm stands up. This brings me right back to when I was at my grandmother's deathbed when she was staring at the end of the bed and I knew she saw her parents standing there ready to take her home to heaven. Mom, what are you looking at? I ask her, but I really don't want to know what she sees as this could be the end. Is it her mother, her father, her brother? Is it all of them? I see... Jesus's face. Mama has to go home now. Her face is peaceful and her eyes are fixed at the top of the wall. At that minute, I know I can't leave my mother tonight. I feel in my gut it is her last night. I step out of the door and find Jimmy waiting in the hallway. Jimmy, I can't leave her. I'm spending the night. She just told me she sees Jesus' face and that Mama has to go home now. I say, crying, barely getting the words out. I don't understand what you're saying. Stop crying. I can hear what you're saying, he tells me. I take a breath and tell him again, then turn and go back into the room. I climb back into the bed with my mom and wrap my arms around her waist. Jimmy comes into the room and sits back in the chair. I'm sobbing and holding on to my mother. She knows I'm crying as she can feel my shaking body pressed up to hers. And she starts to comfort me. It's all right. It's going to be all right. It's okay. It's okay. She says over and over again as she pats my hand with hers. Jimmy sits in the chair watching us with tears streaming down his face. After 15 minutes, I finally stop sobbing and he gets up and kisses me. This is heartbreaking. Your mom is comforting you. Call me if you need me. I love you. After Jimmy leaves, the caretakers come into the room to change mom and get her nightgown on. As they are putting her nightgown on over her head, she gets angry and flails her arms in the air, throwing herself back against the wall. Her head hits the wall and she slowly sinks to the floor. It's painful to watch this. It is pitiful and I feel helpless. My beautiful mom is now a skeleton of what she was. As I watch the life seeping out of her, I feel like life is seeping out of me.
Once they get Mom back into bed, I pull out one of her nightgowns from her dresser and change my clothes. I place my contact lens in two small plastic cups on the counter and find a new toothbrush in her bathroom drawer. It is a restless night. I barely sleep as I keep listening to her breathing. I'm convinced each breath will be her last. One minute we are entwined and breathing together, the next moment the caretakers enter the room checking on her and taking her to the bathroom to change. In the morning, she miraculously seems better. The morning caretakers arrive and dress her for breakfast. As they walk her to the dining room, I change out of the nightgown and put my clothes on. My sisters and dad are planning to visit mom today. I'm exhausted, mentally, emotionally, and physically. I just want to go home and crawl into bed and sleep all day. Mom is sitting at the dining room with a plate of scrambled eggs and grits. A sweet caretaker is trying to get her to take a few bites. Goodbye, Mom. I love you. And I kiss her goodbye, leaving reluctantly. My mom didn't go home to heaven last night, but she is ready. I take comfort in knowing that she is being watched over as she told me she has seen Jesus' face. I believe her because she told me, and that look of peace on her face at that moment will be something that I will never forget. Thank you for joining me for Life in the A-Zone. Look for new episodes each Wednesday. Please share, subscribe, like, comment, and follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To join my mailing list, go to lifeinthea-zone.com and check out my best-selling book, Meanwhile, back at Cafe Dumont, Life Stories About Food, at Amazon and Barnes & Noble.